Hello and welcome to the Dot Ball Cricket Podcast. This is the cricket podcast that concentrates on uh, South African cricket, uh, both the Proteas and looking in depth at the domestic season in South Africa, which has just come to an end. It is my great pleasure to have with me two former South African internationals in left-arm spinner Paul Harris and uh, all-rounder John Kent, both of whom are probably well-known too for their broadcasting work with Supersport. And also a great pleasure to have with with me uh, statistician, author, broadcaster and general cricket guru, Andrew Sampson. We've just come off, uh, obviously, a successful test series for the Proteas, South Africa against Bangladesh. Uh, South Africa winning 2-0, two very convincing wins. And uh, I know Paul Harris is dying to talk about Keshav Maharaj and Simon Harmer. And uh, John Kent is dying to talk about the Proteas finally overcoming their Kingsmead bogey. But uh, shall we start with Andrew Sampson and, and maybe just a few of the statistical highlights from that series, Andrew? Uh, I know, obviously, it was mostly the Maharaj and Harmer show, but uh, perhaps our batting was a little bit forgotten. Uh, South Africa had six guys who scored more than 100 runs in the series. Bangladesh just had two, and uh, that perhaps also told a bit of a tale. Yes, so especially I'm starting with the spinners. Um, 29 wickets between the two of them in the in the series out of the 40 that South Africa took. Um, 72.5% is the highest percentage of wickets taken by South African spinners in a test series since 1909-10. Um, those were the days with a quartet of um, googly bowlers. So it's certainly an unusual occurrence for South Africa to be spinning teams out uh, at all at home. Uh, and especially a team from the subcontinent. Uh, the first test in Durban when South Africa bowled Bangladesh out for 53 in the second innings was the first time that South Africa had ever bowled a team out using only two bowlers of any description, never mind spinners. And they repeated the feat in the following test, which is really rather extraordinary. Yeah, and it, it wasn't even on matting wickets like uh, I think the guys back in 1909. Uh, Paul, you would have loved to have bowled on matting wickets, no doubt, in your day. But uh, Maharaj and Harmer, just for you, it must have been really special to see those two guys bowl so well in tandem. It was. Um, you know, it's. I mean, let's first go with, with Harmer. I mean, you know, he's obviously... Batted his way back into the South African side uh, through sheer weight of, uh, of wicket-taking. I think he's the highest first-class wicket-taker in the last few years in the world. So well done to him, firstly. And also how he sort of came back and set the tone in that first test, uh, where I think he got the first four wickets, um, was was remarkable and, and brilliant from him. Um, and then secondly, I mean, Cash has, uh, has steadily improved um, his bowling over the last sort of two summers. Um, or two years, uh, having said that. And, um, and, you know, I'm just so glad finally he's getting a bit of success. He's been bowling really well, uh, but just hasn't got quite, so, you know, hasn't quite gone, gone his way, especially at home. Um, so it was great to see him getting the rewards for all his hard work. Um, he bowled beautifully. Um, he's not bowling as many as many bad balls as he did before. Um, he's obviously got huge amounts of confidence uh, in himself and in his ability and uh, and what he can do as a, as a spin bowler. He's now become the most successful spin bowler since isolation. It's great to see. Um, and uh, going from strength to strength, it's going to be fun. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, but it'll be fun to see what happens the next time we go and sort of tour India or Pakistan 
um, or any of the subcontinental uh, teams uh, with these two spin bowlers. I mean, you know, hugely experienced, know their games, um, you know, one left, one right, nowhere to hide really. Yeah, Paul, uh, I know unfortunately during most of your Proteus time you never had the benefit of uh, having another frontline spinner to bowl with at the other end, but uh, I guess it did happen at domestic level at times with Tabray Shamsi probably mostly, but what what does it mean for a spinner to have another spinner at the other end uh, turning the ball the other way uh, and and just also creating a lot of pressure from the other end? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I did it a lot with Imran Tahir uh, when he was at the Titans. Um, in fact, we played quite a few games in Benoni where only the two of us bowled. Um, I remember actually him and I taking the new ball and then also taking the second new ball. I think we bowled out free state. I think it was uh, two overs into the second new ball. So, um, and, you know, it certainly did happen in first class cricket before uh, with, the, with the Titans I know of. And, uh, and bowling with Imran, I mean, we were so different, one being a leaguey, one being sort of left-arm orthodox. It was, uh, it was great to feed off. And, uh, and we did incredibly well, uh, you know, bowling together. And I foresee the same thing happening with, uh, with Kesh and Simon. And also, you know, guys just preparing sort of spinning wickets against us. So they might think twice, you know, if this continues. As I said, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. As you know, I don't think the Bangladeshi batsmen covered themselves in glory with a bat. Um, you know, you would imagine that an Indian top order would have played a lot better. Having said that, you know, you can only play, who, you know, who's put in front of you. And they certainly sort of really decimated uh, the Bangladesh uh, in their top order and bottom order, um, especially in the second innings, which is what you want to see. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Kesh, I think, would, would have been a bit frustrated in that first innings in, in Durban. You know, he didn't pick up a wicket. He bowled really well, bowled a lot of overs. Um, you know, and watching your, you know, the guys just come back into the side, take wickets. That would have been, a, you know, I wouldn't say stressful time for him because that position's his, but it would have been frustrating for him. And the way he bounced back in the second innings and then how he continued that on a wicket that I don't think there's been a wicket in South Africa's turned more than the one that turned in PE and bounce. Um, but, you know, having, you know, we got, we, we got our, um, our strategy spot on. Yeah, speaking about the, uh, the wickets, uh, John Kent, I, I thought the Kingsmead pitch was absolutely outstanding because it, it provided a bit of help for the spinners, but it also seemed uh, so the quick bowlers could get a bit of bounce, uh, get a bit of assistance. There was decent bounce as well. Uh, John, just fantastic to see the Proteas uh, win at Kingsmead. Uh, Andrew Sampson will, will no doubt have the exact figure, but, but I think it's probably their only third win there uh, in their last 11 or 12 tests. Yeah, they, they, they went in with a probably a better attitude than previous times. Uh, obviously, they didn't have their, their fast bowlers to, to, to blast them out in previous occasions, and Maybe just seeing who else is around, and we realise what what a shortage we have of what we have of out and out quick bowlers. You have uh, Lazard Williams, who is probably the quickest of the lot of those bowlers. Um, you got Dwan Elfield by the one twenty five. Um, you know that the guys weren't really cranking it up, to be honest. But like Paul was saying, now you you can take our spinners, our two spinners, anywhere in the world, and they will they will be the better spinners on display majority of the time. To be honest, there's not many better of them. Uh, than them in the world right now. So that's that's a massive uh, plus for us. Yeah, obviously disappointing. No one really, you're talking about Durban and, and obviously Port Elizabeth Wickets, it's a bit disappointing. No one managed to get to those three figures. Even Keshav sort of came in and, and swung for the hills and, and got a few lusty runs at a, at a good rate. Um, yeah, that would also have been a bit of a special moment for him. Also getting a, hundred, a test 100, that would be quite outstanding. Um, 
also the one instance uh, as well when, when Keshav didn't get wickets and Hama got some wickets. It was quite interesting to see when Keshav did pick up some wickets. He was pretty <laughs> aggressive in his celebrations. And, uh, you know, I'd love to know what he was thinking there, what he was upset with, or what does it look like? A bit of frustration built up, but he got the wickets and you know, the two of them are, are superb together. So, like a huge plus, I think a, a little bit of a worry from I don't know, my perspective, I don't know about everyone else, but I'm, I'm just a little bit worried when those big quicks are missing of ours. We don't have many quick bowlers around, to be honest, um, other than them, which is a very concerning, I think. Yeah, it, it certainly, I, I thought Lizard Williams was decent. Um, obviously, still has a lot to learn uh, at that level, but uh, as you say, they're real pace men, uh, the real fast bowlers. Uh, we we're a bit over reliant on, I guess, Rabada, uh, Nokia, uh, those guys. But, um, John, what, one of the things that struck me as well from the series was uh, just how disappointing Bangladesh were in terms of how they played in the ODI series, where they had tremendous self belief and played with confidence and seemed to have good plans and uh, really took it to the Proteas. Uh, in, in the Test Series, uh, they were just really quite meek. As soon as a few decisions uh, went against them, as soon as the pressure was on, they really just capitulated. And I have to ask, uh, do they have the right captain in the Test side? Tama Mikbal uh, led in the ODIs and Momino Huck. Uh, apart from just scoring 13 runs in four innings uh, in the Test Series, I didn't really see him as being much of an inspirational figure for his team. Yeah, I agree with you. Tamim has been the, the rock there for their team for many years. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit phenomenal. He's been only a single format real player for them in Test Cricket. He's been probably one of their more successful over the years. But yeah, they're just, yeah, they're pretty meek. You're right, they didn't really show much backbone. You know, they, they they really just gave it away in the end. Those last couple of wickets in that test match in PE, they, they slog sweeping ball straight down deep mid-wicket, hitting the ball straight up in the air. Yeah, they didn't show much fight, which is, yeah, them, uh, from their perspective, it's, it's uh, very worrying when you're playing away from home and, and going down in that fashion. Uh, Paul, John has mentioned the uh, backup pace bowlers who, who came in and I, I guess did a, a moderate uh, sort of job. But uh, of the other newcomers, the guys filling in for the IPL players, how, how did you feel they went, uh, Paul, the likes of Rickardson, I, get, I guess, uh, especially? Yeah, look, I think it was, I think he might be slightly disappointed. He got a, you know, some good opportunities to bat Rickardson and, uh, and he got some runs, but he would have liked to have got a big one. You know, stamp your authority as soon as you get a chance. You don't know when you're going to get another one. You know, you've got a few guys that will come back into that test squad and you know, guys are going to have to have to have to move out. Um, so you'll be slightly disappointed, um, you know, having getting given the opportunity. I think he got out reverse sweeping once as well. Uh, easy shot, but uh, you know you got to take your chances uh, when you, you know when you're a newcomer in the side. You got to you got to take your chances. And then sort of as far as the seamers go, uh, look, I don't think they got the best opportunity to bowl. Uh, you know, especially in the second innings where we used just the two bowlers and our spinners did so well. Um, but certainly there is a bit of a, you see a bit of a glaring gap between, you know, this, 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 the seamers that played this series and the sort of three, four guns that are away. Um, it is a slight worry, I agree with John, um, you know, but if you take sort of four seamers, three seamers away from any test team, you know, you're probably not going to get the same level. So I don't think we should be too harsh, but certainly something to look into if we have one or two injuries, 
you know, having the spinners there might save, might save us for a while. But we might get to a place where we, you know, a wicket where, you know, you can't wear doesn't spin and, and it's got a bit of seam and swing. And you're going to need the seamers to, uh, to, to step up. So slight worry. Um, but as I said, when the, you know, those three, four gun seamers come back, uh, we shouldn't, uh, we'll have a bit of a selection issue, that's for sure. Um, sort of what uh, balance of side do we have? Um, do we play the all-rounder? Um, maybe another disappointing uh, performance by the all-rounder. And, uh, you know, Vion Mulder, I'm not sure if that is the answer to our um, all-rounder um, issue. Do we play an out-and-out batter there and back our bowlers? Do we play an extra bowler? You know, with Simon Harmer and Keshev batting so well, does that make up an extra batter? So these are all the questions you're going to have to sort of answer. But I think for Bouch uh, and the coaching staff, it's probably, you know, good headaches to have. Yeah, well, that brings me exactly to what I actually wanted to, wanted to discuss next, uh, which was looking at the series coming up, which is a, a tour to England uh, and then a tour to Australia. Uh, and in both both tours, there could be situations where you maybe only want to play one spinner. But uh, specific, especially England in late summer, I guess we can bank on being able to play two spinners. But then with the IPL guys returning and, of course, with targets always being a, a, a factor we've got to consider in Proteus teams, uh, Simon Harmer's future, how, how does he ensure uh, he gets uh, a, a fairly solid place in, in the starting eleven? Can he bat number seven? That's that's the key for me. Uh, Andrew, how do you see that going forward? Well, can he bat number seven is a good question. I can't see South Africa playing two spinners at all in England or Australia. So I would think it's unlikely uh, that Harmer would actually get a run in either of those, to be honest. Um, they probably keep Mulder as the, potentially as the all-rounder, even though his test career has been pretty disappointing so far. Um, as I say, I just I can't see them playing two spinners in England or Australia at any point, really. But the the all rounder thing is the other interesting side of it is because because of Vermulder's failures, there is a kind of theory that between um, Harmer, Maharaj, and Marco Janssen, they can make up enough runs between seven, eight, and nine as you might normally expect uh, between seven, eight, and nine because they're all pretty good number eights or numbers nines, if that's what you want to call them. Yeah, I, I quite like that theory. I, I, I must say. I, and you late summer in England, uh, plus with all of Harmer's experience of taking hundreds of wickets for Essex. Uh, John Kent, do you, do you agree that, that Harmer might not get a game in England? How do we fit him in? Yeah, I think the uh, I like the, the, what Andrew said about uh, Janssen. I think he's probably the answer for us in that position if we're only going to play one spinner. Um, but as the summer goes on, uh, Paul will know it, it becomes drier more abrasive and you know we can probably make that happen you just got to say well who, who would be more threatening to face in England would it be a Mulder type of bowler or would it would it be a, a Harmer as as the second spinner and you've got to say well you know probably Harmer to be honest with you if they get much of a muchness with the runs you know maybe that's not a bad option. Paul your your views on this? Look, I slightly, uh, you know, I slightly agree and disagree. It depends on conditions. Um, you know, if you've got, you know, you're playing at Lords, for example, and it's, you know, it's cloudy on day one, the chance you're playing two spinners is going to be close to zero. Um, but if you're going to Trent Bridge or if you're going to Birmingham, we're going somewhere where it gets a bit flatter, then certainly, certainly is an option. 
the, the good news is there is the option. You're going to Australia, you know, you're playing in Sydney, yes, you would get to play two playing, you know, sort of in Perth, maybe not. Um, so you, you have to look at the conditions. The good news now is we actually have the option to do it, uh, whereas before we never had the option. So is Simon Homer going to get an out-and-out position in that team where he plays every game? I think the answer there is no. I think it's going to be a bit of an in-out situation. But I certainly am for having the, you know, sort of maybe not not him at seven, maybe Janssen at seven, you know, Maharaj at eight, him at nine. I mean, that's sort of got to be better than than Mulder. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I just don't think test cricket is, uh, is I think sort of first test cricket might be his, his ceiling. Um, I'm hoping one day he'll prove me horribly wrong. But I just don't see him good enough at batting or bowling to really compete against the top sides at, uh, at the highest level as test cricket. So I'm all for playing, whether it's uh, more bowlers and seamers or whether it's uh, more spinners. Um, I'm with John. I think that if you're going to compare the all-rounder position uh, in Mulder to you know another spinner, I'm playing another spinner every time. I think all four of us agree that uh, perhaps going the route of cobbling together the runs, the likes of Maharaj, Rabada, Harmer, Janssen, uh, can score together and, and saying that's our all-rounder uh, is probably the best way to go. The the three tests in England, uh, just by the way, will be at Lords, the first test, uh, traditionally a, a pretty SEMA-friendly friendly ground. That's from August 17th to 21st. Uh, the series then goes to Old Trafford in Manchester for the second test and then the third test at the Oval. Uh, and that third test starts on September 8th. So uh, perhaps by then, and maybe even for the second test, uh, we'll see uh, the possibility of South Africa fielding two spinners. Gentlemen, let's uh, move on to the domestic game. And South Africa's season, of course, just came to an end recently. And before I think we, we chat about that, let, let's get the the actual position from Andrew Sampson uh, in terms of those promotion relegation standings, uh, of course, uh, who goes down, who comes up will only be decided after the end of next season. But uh, Andrew, who's who's sitting pretty and who's who's looking in trouble uh, for next season? Yeah, it's obviously with the two seasons, um, the first time they've implemented, they've done it over two seasons, so uh, it gives everyone a second chance after the season. But the Titans are. Pretty comfortable. In fact, I don't, I don't think there's any chance of them being relegated. They've got 35 promotion relegation points after the season, uh, which is well ahead of the Lions on 23. And then you go down to the other side of the uh, Division One. The Knights are in trouble, having only got four points, um, while the Dolphins and the Dragons are next worst on 10 each. And I suppose Warriors and Western Province are also still in a bit of danger having only got 14 each. So if, both of, if either or any one of those sides has a really poor season next season, they could put themselves in danger of relegation as well. Um, and in the second division, Northern Cape are at the top with 25 points. They've only got uh, the two competitions in the second division because the T20, they play in their knockout uh, competition uh, as opposed to their own division. And then, you're, then the good old KwaZulu-Natal in Nantuskas playing at the Oval in Maritzburg. Yay! Marriageburg! Oh, second. So they're in the, the, the two top teams. And the Southwestern Districts have done quite well as well. They're on 17 points. So a good season uh, in 2022-23. Could see them being promoted possibly as well. 
Yeah, it was obviously a, a tremendous season for the Northern Titans. Um, they could have won all three trophies, in fact, uh, because they won the four-day competition and were in the final of both white ball competitions. And uh, I think the last time a, a domestic sweep uh, happened was back in the days of the Mean Machine transfer. <laughs> but uh, Paul Harris, a, a former Titans man, uh, obviously delighted with the, the season for Northerns. But uh, do they have a bit of a problem when it comes to winning finals? Um, I don't think so. Um, they are the most successful franchise out there, so I'm not franchise anymore. But uh, no, I think that the other teams played well in the finals. Um, I watched one of them, and the other team played better. Um, I think they won the four-day stuff, which is uh, which is the key to a sort of good setup and a good team and a good uh, you know good structures. Um, you know, I'm obviously slightly biased, uh, uh, um, a strong, hardened supporter of Northerns and Titans cricket. Um, but they do. They've got very good structures there. Um, you know, they've got a great CEO. They've got a very good coach. Mandela has done very well. Um, there'll be a bit of pressure off him now. He's won a trophy, which is great for him. Um, can free him up a little bit. Um, and they just tend to find ways. You know, uh, you can you know you can lose finals. It happens from time to time. Um, I know that uh, you know people would like to read into that, including you, uh, uh, um, uh, John. But that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to take it uh, too personally. Um, you know, I, I know everyone hates it when the Titans win, except for me. Uh, but that's what happens with great uh, organisations. Is people don't either love them or hate them, and it's not surprising that South Africa are playing so well because the Titans are. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff, Paul. Uh, John Kent will give you a, will give you a go to uh, respond to that. Uh, just your uh, feelings of the domestic season that's just been, and I guess also what's happened to the KZN Dolphins because they were uh, clearly one of the top franchises. Uh, in the last couple of seasons, but uh, a troubled campaign, a, a troubled summer for them this time round. Yeah, I think they, uh, the Dolphins, yeah, they drew most of their games, and I think they just took the, not the easy way out, but didn't really set some declarations. And the only game they won was because Lions were trying to create a victory at Kingsmead, and Ackerman got 140 odds. So, yeah, their four day wasn't great. Um, their, their, their 2020, I think Miller covered a few for them, and then the momentum for the one day cup. Yeah, they were they were dreadful. I don't know what I don't know really. They just haven't looked like a, a setup that's gelled together. Because in that in the one day cup is over the last three years, I think they've made finals, and that's their probably their best format. And that was that was just terrible. They didn't manage to put any sort of game together. But um, saying that, like yeah, uh, what, what Paul mentioned with Mantler, it was good for him to get that that trophy. Um, under the belt, and it was a couple of tough seasons before this where they hadn't made a, a white ball final for a little while, but uh, producing good players, they've given Makanya the captaincy, and he seems to be enjoying it and scoring runs. Um, Brunt's had a good season as a four-day leader. Um, so, like Paul said, the, the first-class first trophy is, is massive and, and really good to see them come out on top there. Um, they've put a good season together, and that's, that's important. You know, the Lions... Also, right up there again in the points tally, down into the log to the Northern Cape and, and the Tuskers have been pretty far ahead in comparison to the rest. But the guys like the Mpumalanga, the team Limpopo, they've, they've produced some wins and a, and a team like Border, I think they're under some big pressure there. They didn't really have a good season. They, I haven't seen them really making any sort of signings of any uh, note um, so far. Um, and, and the likes of Easton's also not not a great campaign. 
Um, so Limpopo and Pumalanga were, were, were getting the upper hand on, on Easterns and the likes of Border. And then the southwestern districts, I think, yeah, they were the surprise package. They, yeah, they got some, some, some good players. Les Duploy played there as well, um, did really well, finished the season strongly. Um, so they are the outside chance. But at the moment, the Tuskers, uh, Northern Cape with Mark Charlton, who's formerly from Northern's excellent coach, um, you know, and obviously producing players for Division One. I, I suppose that's a tricky one because some players might get an offer in Division One. And, and he's got to say, you know, let them go and, and go to greener pastures. Let's just wrap it up with uh, perhaps Andrew uh, from the domestic season. Were there any uh, guys who particularly impressed you at the domestic level who've had really outstanding summers all round? Um, not really, to be honest. Um, there, there wasn't really a standout kind of player, I wouldn't think, that uh, comes to mind immediately. That's kind of now demanding national selection. Um, you know, some players obviously made progress, but uh, and others maybe didn't make as much progress as you would like to. Have. Um, I still don't know why Yanoman Milan hasn't played <laughs> Test cricket though. Uh, yeah, that's, I suppose you can't get a place in the side. That's the uh... well, he averages forty nine in first class cricket, which seems to be used used to be good enough to get you a Test run. <laughs> Over how many seasons? That's like two seasons of oh. four day cricket, eh? No, he's played about four or five seasons now. Okay. Has he averaged 49 in all of them? He averages 49 in all first-class cricket, yes. He's got 1,200s, a couple of double hundreds. Uh, He's done well enough in ODIs, and he still can't get a game in test cricket. I don't understand. He doesn't even get in the squad, which I really (laughs) don't understand. His brother's done better. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) His brother's a bit older, though. Um, I don't care much. Yeah, Yanaman Milan is certainly uh, one of the big talents in South African cricket. Paul, who who are some of the guys who maybe caught your eye at domestic level? Well, I think the Stubbs is a seriously, seriously good player. Um, you know, he's he's someone for me that's got X factor. I'm trying to look at you know guys around the circuit that have got X factor, and he's to me seems like that kind of player. Um, you know, someone that can smack the ball out the ground. Um, you know, I would like to see more uh, of him in in the first class game before uh, sort of anything remotely close to Test cricket. But certainly in white ball cricket, he must be close. Um, you know, I know you know as Africans we don't tend to you know blood our guys young, but uh, you know I would like to see him come through sooner rather than later. And Brevis, I mean, we've seen what he's done. Uh, you know, sort of at the IPL now. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer we don't just hand out caps, but I do believe that when there's something special, uh, you know, you need to blood it as quickly as possible. There's certain players that I think would thrive under, you know, that sort of pressure and certain players that might wilt. I think that those two are the type of players that would thrive, uh, you know, given some senior players around them. Um, I think that they would really thrive at that level. So, you know, those two guys for me are the standout sort of uh, young players coming through that I, you know, ex- I'll turn my TV on to watch them bat. Let's put it that way. Um, and then, you know, like I've got to say it's the party shot is the two spinners have sort of made my summer. Um, you know, sitting there watching two <laughs> spinners open the bowling at Kingsmead, um, which was notoriously a fast bowler's paradise. There might be one or two fast bowlers turning in their grave. Uh, you know, seeing that, uh, you know, that happened. And for me, it was hugely, uh, uh, you know, satisfying to see it. And also to seeing Keshav Maharaj doing so well. Um, you know, it's no secret I've got a great relationship with him and seeing the fact that he actually has uh, got rewards for all the hard work is, uh, you know, has really made it special to watch. So I'm looking forward to the next test match, I can assure you. 
Indeed, it was a, a truly memorable end uh, to the summer and, and a great summer too if we think about beating India in uh, tests uh, and an ODR series as well. So uh, much to be happy, happy about. John Kent, just to finish off with you, uh, Tristan Stubbsy has now been named in the SAA T20 squad uh, that will be playing in Zimbabwe later this month. Uh, him and Deval Previs, when do we throw them at an international level? Well, I think um, I think Stubbs has got to be putting some pressure on that middle order, top to middle order, finishing role. Miller's in form, which is great. Um, him having him and Miller finishing off, we worried about the finishes after Miller. There was the likes of Clarsons. There's been the likes of you know Miller in and out. So so I think uh, the likes of a Stubbs and and Miller right hand, left hand, you know, batting say five and six for our side. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, but just take a quick step back, I think, in domestic cricket, I think the, the Simmons, I think uh, Paul knows Carl Simmons pretty well. He got, I think he was the second top first-class wicket-taker with 33 after Harmer. So I think that was a, quite a, an outstanding effort from him at Western Province. And then in the one-day cup, I think Liber got 300s in a row towards the end of that series. I know Warriors didn't do particularly well, but um, obviously he was in the runs in that, uh, in that respect. Yeah, Vian Luba also uh, in that SAA T20 squad. Perhaps surprisingly not in the 50-over SAA squad, but then the top order is a bit loaded there uh, with people like Reza Hendricks and uh, and the like. So that's where we will end it for today's, uh, well, for this episode of the Dot Ball Cricket Podcast. Thank you very much to Paul and John and Andrew uh, for their time and, and wonderful thoughts on South African cricket and don't forget that you can subscribe uh, to this podcast please do that and uh, you can also follow us on Twitter on at dot ball podcast uh, we'd be delighted to hear from you thanks very much for listening to us and until next time goodbye